Hello, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Community Action, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Community Action Association, or NISCA for short. My name is Heidi Barkham, Program and Communications Director for NISCA. NISCA is the State Association for New York's Community Action Agencies, commonly known as CAAs. NISCA's mission is to strengthen the capacity of the Community Action Network to address the causes and conditions of poverty. NISCA was created in 1987 to provide CAAs in New York with professional development opportunities, training, and technical assistance. NISCA is the hub that brings together community action agencies in New York to network, share successes and challenges, and strategize to meet the needs of vulnerable New Yorkers. A community action agency, or CAA, is a local organization with the mission of reducing poverty through locally designed and delivered programs and services targeted to the specific needs of their community. The 47 CAAs in New York form a statewide service delivery system that connects individuals and families to the services they need to achieve economic status. When it comes to moving folks from poverty to self-sufficiency, community action agencies know what works. For our inaugural episode, we are joined today by three of New York's Community Action Agency's executive directors, who also serve as members of NISCA's board of directors. Let's now introduce our guests, starting with Greg Richards. Yes, thank you for having me, Heidi. My name is Greg Richards. I am from Cortland County, the Cortland County Community Action Program. Bit of a mouthful, so we refer to ourselves as CAPCO. That's what we're known as in our community. We obviously are the Community Action Agency serving all of Cortland County with some services that we also offer in Tompkins County. I've been with the agency um, Community Action really my entire career since I left college, so the last eight years, and been the executive director uh, just started my second year of that. Great, thanks. And Renee, can you introduce yourself? Yes, hi, Heidi. My name is Renee Hungerford. I'm from Community Action of Orleans and Genesee. I started with the agency in October of 2020, so I've been here about almost two and a half years. I actually came in as the CEO, and before that was not very familiar with Community Action, other than I've brought a few donations over the years, but I was quite surprised at the diverse number of programs that we have and all that we do for the community. So I came in through, it's kind of my third incarnation as a career. I started in banking for about 30 years um, and then was a medical informaticist. And so came into this to, um, with a really looking to address social determinants of health. And I know we do a lot of good in that area. And thank you. And Diane, can you introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Heidi. I am Diane Hewitt-Johnson and I am the CEO at Chautauqua Count. Well, in Chautauqua County, it's Chautauqua Opportunities Incorporated. And so we serve uh, Chautauqua County, which is the furthest uh, county west in New York State. We border uh, Pennsylvania and we're close to Ohio. We also provide some services in Cat County and southeastern Erie County. And so um, I've worked in community action and at Chautauqua Opportunities for the last 20 years. I started out as a frontline staff person and then I worked my way up and I've been the CEO for the last five years. Excellent. Thank you all so much for joining us. And I just, I guess I want to, I'm curious because I'm pretty new to community, the world of community action also. And before I came here, I really didn't know anything about it. And I'm wondering if you guys had that same experience where you can tell me what you did know about community action before you joined us. So I knew absolutely nothing about community action, didn't even know the phrase, what it meant. Um, I grew up in Cortland County. I've been here my whole life. I uh, grew up in a little town called Homer, New York, right in uh, Cortland County here, and have driven past the building that I'm sitting in right now most of my life. And I'm going to be honest with you, I probably shouldn't admit this on a podcast, but I thought that this was a manufacturing place. I had no idea uh, most of my uh, childhood, young adult life, what CAPCO was. Um, so when I got a phone call um, right, right after I graduated college from a connection who worked here about a job opportunity, I thought, no, 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 I'm, I'm in HR. I, I don't want to work for a manufacturing place. So they said, that's not a manufacturing place. That's a not-for-profit, um, which of course was super interesting to me because uh, I had done all of my internships, all of my young adult life had been uh, working in programs at uh, other uh, not-for-profits in town, such as Catholic Charities and a few others. Um, so that was really, really interesting to me. But no, I did not know what community action was, which is really interesting to think about now. You know, eight years is not that long of a, of a time span. 
and it feels like it's ingrained in every piece of my life now. Um, but to think before that, having no clue what it was at all, is, is just really interesting to think about. Yeah, and I'm going to follow up with um, on what Greg said. Um, this is Diane. Um, before I worked in community action, I had no idea what community action was. And the most shocking part is I grew up in poverty and I should have known what it was, but my mother was a proud woman and she would not seek assistance. And so she would struggle through and not seek any assistance. So um, community action, yeah, 20 years in community action, um, really getting the word out into the community so those that need the services feel comfortable uh, approaching us uh, really is one of the goals of mine. Yes, same here for me. Um, I actually, I'm originally from Buffalo, so I moved here probably in the mid-90s. And strangely, my first house here, I literally drove past the community action building every single day. And all I knew is there's some kind of program they had to do with children. So the bank I worked at, we did a lot of community service. And so we would bring donations. And I just pictured it was like a daycare, something like that. Um, had no idea until um, this job opening came and I started doing a little research. And I thought, wow, that it's almost overwhelming how many different things we do and how many programs we manage. But that was kind of going along in the community without being having any awareness whatsoever. <laughs> so I guess one of the questions that I have then, or I'm curious about is when you didn't know anything about community action, what is the thing that now stands out to you the most? Or what is the thing you would most say to somebody who doesn't, who's in the same situation you were in before you came here? I think for me, um, the fact that we do a needs assessment and we stay very current on what you know, what the needs are in the community um, and, and kind of change what our programs are and adjust. Um, I think that's really important for people to know. We're not, um, I think it's easy to think that we're just some, you know, a place that people come for handouts of food or clothing or things like that, but it's so much more complicated. Um, we actually go in and we, we get the numbers and we find out what the best use of resources is. And we're really about helping people to help themselves and become self-sufficient. Um, and I think that's important to make sure that people understand that mission and understand the work that we do um, is, is, you know, it, it's easy to dismiss it, but there's a lot more to it. Great. And to follow up on what Renee just said, uh, community action really focuses on changing people's lives and improving the whole community that we live in. Um, and so that is our sole mission. And um, with that community's assessment, all of us uh, com complete that every three years um, and the needs change um, every year. We're looking at different needs throughout uh, our communities. And so we develop services that fall within our mission, but also address the needs that we see. So Diane, you, you mentioned earlier, I want to go back to that you were a family that would have benefited from community action um, services. So when we're talking about the community needs assessment and how your family would have benefited from it, um, what do you think could be done more or differently to engage families who are maybe in that same situation and get them to take advantages of the services? Well, I think um, one thing is to do some outreach in, in the community. A lot of individuals, unless they've been in our services before, um, they are not familiar with the services. We do partner with a lot of different agencies so that we can send referrals back and forth. And so that helps to get the word out into the community. We have our website, we do um, social media posts, and we're constantly trying to get the word out um, so that individuals are comfortable with us, they're familiar with our name, and they know what we do. Uh, for instance, we run a fatherhood program. We're on the radio all the time. Um, we also have advertising where it flashes our phone number uh, when you're driving down the road, the fatherhood program with the uh, phone number. And so really letting the community know what we do, um, getting them comfortable with us, and getting them engaged. We also have a community council meeting where all of them are free to come every quarter and talk about any topic they want, plus get information from us about our services or to just talk about anything that's going on in the community. And so that engages people and makes them more comfortable with us as an agency. 
Yeah, and I, I think to add to what Diane's saying, it's really interesting to think about this question, Heidi, in terms of you know what, what our familiarity was prior and now kind of how we would how we would better um, communicate our services and make sure the people that need it the most are are we're reaching those folks. Um, and it's it's I always think about the social service industry, social service programs that that we all run in community action agencies. It's a tangled web, right? And in, if you're suffering in poverty and it's truly a, a suffering situation, you're generally living in the tyranny of the moment. And when you think about the web of what a family could qualify for versus what they wouldn't versus what programs are appropriate, and there's all of these these nuances to all of this that even the professionals that work in the industry it's a tangled web that we have to sort out and figure out. And so for community action, what we try to be here in Cortland County, and I, I'm thinking every community action agency really represents this, we are that hub. You know, we don't do everything. We do a lot of great services. We have um, some integral things that we do for our community that if we, we, weren't, we weren't here, that would be a, a significant issue, but we can't do it all. So it's important to us that we have relationships and collaborations with other local, uh, regional, state organizations that we can wrap our, our, our arms around a family and get them all the services they need and not just get them the services they need, but help them understand the services that they're receiving, understand the services that they qualify for. Uh, because living in poverty and trying to navigate this system, which in many respects is a broken system, it's, it's kind of the nature of the system that we're in, it's almost impossible for somebody to navigate that without some help and without some guidance. Um, and that's what we try to be here at CAPCO, not just for our own programs, but for other programs that we don't offer to make sure that our community is getting the services they need. And I really like what um, Renee said, uh, a couple of questions ago um, about we're not we're not just providing programs and providing handouts. Sure, that's some of what we do and it's vital that we do that, but it's more about addressing the systemic issues. So we're more than just, you know, come to CAPCO if you are in an emergency situation and you need diapers. Well, yes, come to CAPCO, but we do more than that. We do community education. We do poverty simulations. We are certified in ACEs and trauma-informed care and um, all of those great things that that's the whole other side to community action that's really addressing the systemic issues um, because the idea right is that one day we don't need to exist and I think we've got a, a long ways to go before we get there um, but a big part of that is is really uh, educating the community individually and then also collectively nationally regionally statewide on what these issues are surrounding poverty in, in all of our communities one of the things that we do um, in Genesee Orleans just to kind of get people to know what we do um, is a lot of involvement with partners. Um, we, you know, I, I'm I'm personally in a Rotary and a Lions Club. Um, a couple of our, my directors and actually some staff are uh, members of our Leadership Orleans program, which is this big countywide leadership program, which is very active. Um, we have different um, calls with partners with United Way. So we really just try to get involved with so many different partners so that we could kind of tell everybody our mission, tell everybody they're there so that you know our message gets carried on by other organizations that, that we partner with. Yeah, and just to follow up on that, I just wanted to say, when we do our community needs assessment, and this is true for all community action agencies, you um, look at what your community has available, you look at what the needs are, and then you make recommendations on what the community needs. And it doesn't mean that the community action agency is going to address all those needs. We rely on all of those partnerships. And so we don't duplicate services, but we augment our services with other partnerships in the community to help address those needs. So you all mentioned community needs assessments. Can you talk to us a little bit more about those, the purpose of them and how they fit into our communities and how they help? Sure, I'll, this is Diane, I'll address that. And then, <laughs> um, so community needs assessments, um, we're uh, required to do them every three years, but even though we're required to do them, it's best practices to make sure that you do that so that you're offering services to the community um, that they actually need. And so the community needs assessment looks at the causes and conditions of poverty in our area that we serve because every area is different. Um, and so 
We also look at the latest uh, data on population in our area. We uh, are known for losing um, individuals, unfortunately. We have a declining uh, population in our area. Um, we also look at various con conditions such as housing, homelessness, health, healthcare, employment. Um, and so when we look at all of the information, we look at our strengths, um, we look at the resources available, we look at what services are currently being provided and what can we do as an agency versus what is already being done or what can be made better. And so if you don't do a community needs assessment, you, you really don't have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in your community. Um, and as time goes on, if you see something big happen, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, you can do an amendment and say, okay, that was our community last year, but we have this big issue that we need to address. So let's look at the area and make adjustments to our community needs assessment and address whatever services are going to be needed to address, you know, what's going on in the community. Yeah, I think you make a good point about how things change and that we have to be able to respond quickly. Um, when I came into the agency, I think there was a lot of comfort that developed with the programs and they kind of stayed static for over time. And it's easy to get comfortable with what you're doing, but if the needs of the community change, you have to be ready to, to respond to that and change things and, and, and change is sometimes hard and, um, you know, you disrupt people and, um, but you really have to look at what's needed, um, you know, and sometimes you have to look at, you know, even though it's needed, are there resources for it? Um, in our case, transportation is a really difficult thing in Orleans County, um, but we, we have difficulty finding funding. So then you have to work with partners and other things to see if there's a, a solution outside of the agency that can, can fill that need. Yeah, and I, I think to, to add to Renee and Diane, I, I think that's that's really interesting to think about because one of the things that we had talked about about what makes community action unique is that we tailor our programs and services to our community's unique needs. Um, you know, we're, while we're all community action agencies across the country and the New York State Network, my agency is different than Diane's, is different than Renee's and vice versa. We don't offer all the same programming. And even when we do offer uh, similar programs like such as Head Start or Weatherization, they look a little different in, in different agencies and different communities. Now we all have standards we have to adhere to and we all have to you know, meet the same performance standards and reporting and all of that. But what's really neat about community action, what makes what sets us apart really from other funded, uh, federally funded uh, not-for-profits and programs is we are able to tailor our programs to our needs. Um, I'm in Cortland County, right in the center of the state. Uh, Topkins County is right below us. We could not be more different of counties. And then when you look at Onondaga County, where Syracuse is right above us, completely different what their needs look like and what the, the challenges that they see based on their size and everything like that. So it makes it super critical to do that community needs assessment because that's what drives really your strategic plan, which really is what drives your programming that you offer to your community. Um, actually, NISCA helped uh, CAPCO this past year redo our uh, strategic plan. We do that every, uh, every agency has to do that minimally uh, every five years. But really, before you can do that, you have to have a pretty robust community needs assessment to really drive where you're going to go with that strategic plan. Um, if we had not had the community needs assessment that we had done, we just redid ours in uh, end of 2021, the experience for our, our strategic plan, which again drives really all of our agency's decisions, would not have been as impactful, would not have been as meaningful because we're not identifying what the needs are in our community. And that means we're not really doing our jobs that as a community action agency. So that community needs assessment from where I sit drives everything. That's where everything really starts and stops with the programming that we offer um, in each of our counties and each of the service areas that, that we cover. So Greg makes a really good point about counties being very different. So with an agency where we have two counties, Orleans and Genesee, um, there, there are a lot of similarities, but because Genesee County has a has a city of Batavia in the middle of it, there, there are some big differences. So the programs that are appropriate in Orleans may not be the same as Genesee. So that needs assessment helps me to, to know where to direct resources, which programs to put where. And what tools and resources do you do you use when you're pulling this community needs assessment together? I use the NISCA tools. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that answer. <laughs> so my background, again, I say, uh, 
you know, medical informaticist, that's a lot of data. So I, I love my data. And so when I saw that DISCA tool, I can tell you from what I used to have to do in the healthcare space where I had to go to, you know, the census data and all these different resources to have a tool that pulls everything together. That is, it's just an amazing tool. I go to it frequently, way beyond, way more than the three-year thing and, and go in there and just kind of see where things are because it makes it so easy. And for people who are listening, the NISCA tool that Renee is referring to is the data hub. If you're a NISCA member, then you have access to the data hub. Um, and I, I was just looking at it the other day and boy, it's a rabbit hole. You can just get, <laughs> it's so fun to just kind of dig in there and look at all the differences and start to assess things. Yeah. And for, and for us, you know, getting, making sure we're hearing the voices of, of, uh, a wide array of folks and it kind of represents our board structure and all of that. Um, but we uh, here at CAPCO, we do a lot with surveys uh, when it's when we're kind of building up to do another community needs assessment. Um, of course, we'll get other data from other sources about, about countywide data, statewide data, but actually hearing from the voices of the people that we serve. So we actually do uh, three or four different surveys that are tailored to different uh, groups of folks in our community. Um, one of them first and foremost is for our participants. So folks that are receiving services through one one or more um, of our programs hearing their voice first and foremost because they're they are the population that is receiving services that we are here to serve um, but also we engage with our staff we have a special survey we send out to all staff to get their perspective um, on some of the community's issues challenges and strengths um, and then we have a special one that we do for our board and head start policy council and then we have a more generalized survey that we put out for the broader community um, that might not be overly familiar with uh, with community action or might not know exactly what all the issues are, but still their impression and their perception of what they're seeing in the community in which they live is really important to us as we're developing that community needs assessment. One of the things um, I think every community action agency probably struggles with is meeting people where they are. Um, you know, it's one thing to send out an, an email blast with a survey to, um, you know, local professionals that you sit on other boards with. It's another thing to try to reach the participants that are in your programs uh, because of the barriers and the challenges that they experience every day, um, there's a few things with that. The way in which you deliver and try to get that information from participants is not going to be a one-size-fits-all, and that makes that a, a, sometimes a tricky thing to make sure you're hearing everyone's voice. And then there's also the stigma piece with it. You know, oftentimes people will come into our agency for services, and they they don't want to be a part of a survey like that um, because it's 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 divulging that they're here getting services, and so trying to break down those barriers to hear from the folks that are receiving services so we can enhance that and make sure we're meeting people where they are is so critical. And if we don't do that step, our community needs assessment will not be um, as accurate as it needs to be, which will mean our strategic plans not, which means our really our operations are, are, are missing the mark. Um, so that, that whole process of building up to a community needs assessment, I think is just as critical as the final outcome of the community needs assessment. And just to follow up to uh, what Greg and Renee had said, um, in at Chautauqua Opportunities, we also use our community council meetings uh, to have uh, the community join us. We have set questions that we ask them, and then we have brainstorming sessions. And so the input that we receive from the customers and the community at those meetings helps us to develop our programs also. Sometimes I get some of the best feedback just going to one of our events. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we have a program called Stone Soup and we had our first graduating class and I attended this and, and just people approached me with, with just ideas, things they wanna see. One was as simple as um, one lady approached me and she said, there's a church in Batavia that gives away seedlings so people can grow their own food. And I thought, wow, what a simple little thing. We could do that. We can get some seeds and plant them and 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 do and we're going to do that. I actually wrote to two different seed companies for donations and and right away they said yes. So they're on the way and easy enough to plant them and get them started. And if it helps somebody that doesn't have transportation and wants to grow some tomatoes or peppers, what a, what an easy, simple program to put together. Wow, what a great example of uh, meeting community needs in a in a very specific way for your community. I love it. Um, can can you guys talk a little bit about how have you seen the needs in your community change over the years, and what has stayed consistent, if anything has? 
So this is Diane. I'll take that question first since I've been here the longest. And so when I started in community action, um, we were more a handout service. And so as the time has gone by, um, we have now implemented where we do assessments um, and we're more of a uh, hand up, not a handout. We're teaching individuals how to become self-sufficient. Um, yes, there are some services that are giveaway services, but it's helping them in, come into the agency, um, get referrals for other services that they may qualify for, and helping them through that process of becoming more self-sufficient and empowering them. Um, and it's amazing to see some of the successes of individuals who come in for one service, but then they realize, oh, I, I qualify for these other things. And they're, you know, we're giving them hope and giving them uh, a path to take uh, to build, uh, you know, their lives. Yeah, I, I like what uh, Diane was saying there. And I, I really like this question, Heidi, because it really gets you thinking. And I totally agree. I think community, I mean, I've, I've been here um probably the least amount of time of anybody on, on the on the podcast right now um, in terms of in this role. But it, I think that the needs in terms of what we're seeing in our community, it's really interesting to think about this, especially coming out of the pandemic. I certainly feel as though the needs have been pretty stagnant in terms of the kind of the big needs that we have in our community, such as transportation and childcare and, you know, addiction issues, mental health, the things that you really hear as the big items really in every uh, community across the state and the country. What I have seen through the pandemic is just how, how those issues have changed and how they've really become magnified, uh, especially coming out of the pandemic when you think about mental health uh, and you think about, you know, just just, just just the challenges around childcare and transportation, everything feels, it, it felt pretty catastrophic prior to the pandemic. I think that it is at a completely new level now coming out of the pandemic, almost incomprehensible. And it really paralyzes uh, some folks at times of where do we start with this? You know, we're seeing in, in Cortland's community, a homelessness crisis that we have not seen I don't think ever uh, at this level, certainly not this visible. And I think that speaks to, the issues were always there, but they are becoming much more visible. They're hitting families in much harder ways and perhaps hitting families that before the pandemic, those families weren't affected by some of those challenges. Um, so that's that's really interesting. And to balance that with what Diane's saying, you know, our role as a community action is to address the causes and uh, causes and effects of poverty somewhat in a nutshell is really a lot of what all of our programming does. And some of that is a handout. And I don't think that there should be a stigma um, associated with that phrase, because sometimes people need a handout, a hand up, as Diane said, um, because that's that's they're living in the tyranny of the moment. And we can address the systemic issues all day long. But if their basic needs aren't being met right now, addressing the overarching, the systemic, the, the root causes of things isn't going to mean anything if they don't have a roof over their head, diapers for their baby, transportation to, to and from work. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really interesting balance that community action has of providing that hand up, providing resources um, in emergency situations so families can meet their basic needs while also addressing the systemic issues. And um, in the eight years I've been a part of community action, I, I've sort of seen that in that microcosm as well is really that evolution of, of being more of that, you know, hand up and providing resources and services and maintaining that while also addressing the trauma and the other systemic issues that are the root causes of why folks are living in poverty in our community. And there's there's a lot to that. It's There's a lot of root causes that are associated with that. Some of those are systemic, some of those are family situations, but we're really tasked with both and. It's not just a handout or a hand up. It's that plus addressing the root causes so folks can reach a point of self-reliance. Um, and I think that, that it, sometimes that's a year-long relationship. Sometimes that's a 20-year-long relationship with a family. Um, it's not a one-shoe-fits-all. And I think it puts us in, a, in an industry um, that is really one of the most tricky, tricky and intricate industries to work within because you're dealing with people and you're dealing with families. And there's not a one-shoe-fits-all solution in, in when you're dealing with uh, that industry. So what I'm seeing, um, it almost seems counterintuitive because I came into community action in the middle of the pandemic. And when I came in, there was CARES funding, people were free with donations. There was a lot of different support things going on to help people. And so now as we're 
technically ending the public health emergency, a lot of those services and, and resources are, are going away. Um, Medicaid, SNAP, um, rental assistance. And so the need is greater, but, um, but the world has changed. And so now we are having children come into our Head, head Start classes that um, they're, it's a different situation. They grew up in a pandemic. Their situation may have been very different. They may not have been outside of the house. People were in quarantine. So we're seeing um, children that may not come in with the same skill set. So needing things like Head Start even more so. But at the same time, minimum wage is going up. Eligibility doesn't change. And fewer and fewer families are able to take advantage of our services when the need seems to be greater than ever. So to me, the kind of the end of the pandemic um, or at least the what we're calling the technical end seems to be where the real troubles are starting. And um, that concerns me because resources are starting to dry up um, because, you know, COVID kind of put it in everybody's face, but that's kind of moving away now. <laughs> Thanks for all of that, um, that insight. That's actually helpful. And, you know, we, we talk about that community action is supporting families and helping families. And NISCA's role is really to support your community action agencies as you're doing their your jobs. So I'm wondering if you can talk with me a little bit about um, the relationship. Diane, this might be a great question for you because you've been here for a while. Um, you know, the relationship that you have with New York State Community Action Association and then uh, over the years, and what do you find most helpful from the association and what do you wish we did more of? I'm curious about that. Okay. Well, um, the first 15 years uh, that I worked here, I had very limited connection to NISCA. Um, over the last five years, though, um, I became an active member, um, and I find that the partnership, uh, the membership with NISCA is very valuable. It allows me to stay connected to other agencies um, and their CEOs and their staff. We can brainstorm and bounce ideas off one another. We're not just a single agency providing services on our own. Um, NISCA um, ensures that we have a unified approach to addressing problems that arise. Um, and, you know, there are regions connection to information, professional development, and technical assistance. And so I find that they're a very valuable resource. Um, and it's unfortunate that it's only been for the last five years, even though I've been here 20 years. Um, currently, you know, we have biweekly meetings where all of the CEOs discuss any issues that are we see arise. Um, we come, we brainstorm, uh, we, you know, and bigger results uh can be had with more participation. And so um, NISCA also has affinity groups. And what that means is that groups of em employees who work in respective fields have a support group. And so for instance, there's an HR affinity group or a Head Start affinity group. And so uh, once again, I have my CEO group, but all of the staff have the opportunity to be part of these affinity groups and have a support group and bounce ideas also. Um, NISCA provides a variety of training, um, and I utilize that uh, for my board and for my staff. And so as far as what do I think that you, you should provide more of, I, I think really focusing on what you're doing and then providing more training, um, because that is a real um, valuable asset to me and my agency. So for me, um, the training obviously is very important, but the CEO group was was critical for me because when I came into the agency, and again, not really knowing much about community action, um, there was no CEO and no CFO. My predecessor was gone for the better part of a year, and I had to come in having no one to ask questions or, or, or figure figure things out, no one to kind of you know tell me how the ropes go. And so these weekly meetings back then, they were weekly, were a lifesaver for me because I had this whole group, this whole network that I could ask questions and and people had taken the time to sit you know talk with me and explain kind of you know best practices and you know we have so many regulations and reporting and so many things to learn and when you didn't have somebody to kind of show you figuring it out takes a long time so i'm very grateful for niska um both the you know the partnership and the training because you know before i even started the week before i started i took all the roma classes and you know what is community action and i came in at least with a, a good idea of, of what my objectives were 
Yeah, and that's that's really interesting too. And and I I um, was lucky enough to uh, be hired into an agency with my predecessor who was heavily involved in the NISCA network. So um, I feel like I grew up at the agency, and I grew up knowing that NISCA is going to be ingrained in everything that we do as a community action agency. So I was very very fortunate to come in and work underneath somebody um, who was heavily involved in the network, and that's really instilled that in me and our agency. And I can't imagine how we would operate the way at the level that we do without that relationship and and Renee and Diane are spot on um, when I started um, at the beginning of 2022 we were uh, still in the middle of the pandemic there was some variants going nuts I was um, I'd been with the agency but more on the business administration side so the programming side was a, a newer side to me um, in terms of uh, being a leader on that side and I will say and I think I have said it to the NISCA CEO group I don't know that I would have been able to survive with some of the challenges that um, I had walked into if I didn't have that network to lean on. Um, and, and it's not even just to get all the answers, it's just to say, oh, okay, so you all are struggling with this too. I'm not the only one that's that's struggling with this. That there's just, there's such a comfort in that. Um, and, and you can send an email. In fact, I did just a little bit ago asking for some information and I, I my email is closed right now, but I guarantee when I open it, I'm gonna have like 50 responses um, of what system they're using for whatever question I had asked. And that that's just invaluable. You know, you, you're not recreating the wheel. You see what has worked for others. You share resources. That has honestly helped us get through so many things here at CAPCO in terms of regulation changes, HR changes, financial things that we need to be looking out for. Um, it's just, it, it's invaluable. And without without the network, I, I can speak for myself and I, I'm connected with a, a few other CEOs that are newer either last year or this year. And I know the sentiment is felt that if we didn't have this network, there's a few of us that kind of feel like we might not be in the positions we're in today uh, without that support. So I, I can't thank NISCA enough for that, um, for, for coordinating that, but really it's, it's the other CEOs across the state and their willingness to share and to help. You know, looking at this call, Renee and I are newer, but I know I could call Diane and Diane doesn't know me well, but she would probably tell me anything I needed to know or help me answer any question that I had um, or point me in the right direction if she didn't know. And when I asked the question, you know, where does where does this network exist in the world? And the answer is it really doesn't. You know, NISCA has something very special and unique that probably a lot of other associations should probably take notes and and follow along with. Um, I know we are um, we're connected with other state associations across the the country, and not all of them have the same level of engagement uh, that we have. And I think that is just so critical to all of our operations. Which sort of. Um leads me to the question, Diane, you had mentioned that in the first 15 years, you didn't really have a connection with NISCA. And I'm wondering, were there barriers that was preventing that? Were you not aware of it? Like, can you just kind of speak a little bit about that more maybe just so we know? Sure, absolutely. I was, I was fully aware of NISCA. I was not aware of what they offered. Um, and it was, uh, the executive director was about the only uh, contact with NISCA. And so it, it was just the culture at the agency. And so it was more the executive director had that uh, contact with NISCA and the rest of us just relied on her to relay the information. Ah, yeah. gotcha. So which it's it, a little... We, which is never um, a good way to get information. Really, you need to hear it firsthand or see it firsthand. And I think to add to that, Diane's point about the affinity groups, um, I started as the, the HR director here at CAPCO and that affinity group, you know, talk about the CEO group helping me when I first started, the affinity group for HR, that, that that's the point, you know, it's not just the CEO. We, I think there's an IT affinity group, there's an HR, there's a Head Start. So now broader staff at all levels, whether they're leadership or not, are engaging with NISCA on a regular basis. And that is huge. Um, and I think a lot of that that um, actually started before the pandemic, but really enhanced through the pandemic because that was really the way that everybody could stay in touch with one another um, and all the different you know, regulations and things that we were muddling through at, you know, at the height of the pandemic and not understanding. Um, the fact that it wasn't just the CEO group, it was the HR group, I think there's a finance group, the, all of those groups were talking and we were ensuring that community action as a whole is gonna not just survive the pandemic, but thrive and be really the leader of providing services and keeping our doors open. A lot of that was because of those affinity groups and 
people at all levels of the agency being engaged with NISCA, not just the CEO. So I think Diane's point is really critical there of how things have progressed um, probably over the last five to 10 years, but certainly since the start of the pandemic as well. So we talked a little bit about um, community action agencies connection with their community members and with NISCA. Um, and Greg, you mentioned earlier about board membership and participation. And I know that community action agency boards um, are a unique entity. So will you share with us a little bit about the board makeup and how that makes you stronger in your community? Yeah, so uh, every community action agency in New York State and from coast to coast uh, in the United States has the same um, board structure, board size and things like that differ and you know, procedures change a little bit based on your agency, but every community action agency is set up as what we call a tripartite board. Um, so really there's three different segments. So if I reference CAPCO, it's the best way I can explain it. We have a 15 person board member. Uh, so five, uh, five, five and five is how we split that up into thirds. And the first third, uh, um, is the consumer sector, um, used to kind of be known as the low income sector. We try to change that language a bit to be consumer. And those are folks that are um, either service recipients or program recipients, uh, They or they are democratically elected to serve um, or to represent the consumer sector. Um, so we have uh, five of our board members are either program recipients, program participants that are income eligible to, to receive our services or elected by individuals to uh, represent the consumer sector. The other third is publicly elected officials, um, and usually that's that's local elected officials for, for the most part uh, with uh, local agencies. Um, so we have a mayor on our board, we have a, a two county legislators on our board, and then we have um, a few other folks that have been appointed uh, by an, an elected official to serve on our board. So oftentimes elected officials don't have the capacity, right, to serve on a, a, you know, a monthly meeting or monthly committee meeting. So they themselves are actually on the board, but they appoint somebody to represent them at our board meetings and at our committee meetings. Um, so that's the second third. And then the last third is what we call the private sector. Um, and that's really um, where we get into some of our specializations. So um, private sector, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily fit into the consumer sector. You don't necessarily fit into the publicly elected sector. Um, but perhaps you're an accountant with financial background who is really interested in being involved in a community board. That individual would be considered part of our private sector. Um, and we try to have specialization there. So we have an attorney on our board with legal background. We've got um, our, our actually our board president is a former um, elementary school principal. So we have the early childhood perspective uh, because Head Start and Early Head Start is our largest program that we offer here at CAPGO. Um, we've got somebody with healthcare experience, uh, elder care experience. So the private sector, that last third, if you will, um, is really those folks that don't fit into, into the other two categories. And we try to make sure we've got specialization across our entire board. And then, um, you know, we meet once a month. We do at least 10 meetings a year. So two months of the year, we uh, we, we take off. But we, uh, through the pandemic, we've been able to really get better board engagement, believe it or not, through the pandemic because of the virtual option, because of the hybrid option. And um, sure, there's challenges with that because there's nothing like an in-person meeting. Um, but being able to have board members engaged, showing up, the pandemic has helped with that. Um, and then we have different committees that meet prior to the board meeting that streamline board uh, board member business. So we have a finance committee, a program planning and evaluation committee, um, and we also have a board development committee where we look at board trainings, work a lot with NISCA on that, look at board uh, seats that we need to fill. Um, and then, of course, we have our executive committee uh, that represents our officers and doubles as our personnel committee. Um, the committee structure is, is can be kind of unique to different community action agencies. So CAPCO's committee structure that I just read off, probably Renee and Diane will tell you theirs is a little bit different. But what is always the same is that tripartite board structure with a third being consumer sector, a third publicly elected, and a third the private sector. And do you find that tripartite structure to make you a stronger board and stronger in your community? Oh, definitely. Um, I think that that's, that's really the intention of it, right? I mean, if we had everybody uh, on our board who all you know worked at the same factory and did the same thing, that we wouldn't get the perspective that we need to make the decisions that we need to make to serve our community. We're in the business of serving people and serving those that are most vulnerable. Well, you can't 
do that effectively unless you have a diverse group of folks on your board that truly understand the needs and have areas of expertise to address those needs. Um, you know, I think about the consumer sector. I think that's what makes community action so cool is that it's a mandate. You know, we would want to do this anyway, but we don't have a choice in it. We are going to have participants in our program on our board, on our Head Start Policy Council, which is a whole nother thing, but that connects to our board of directors. Um, you need that perspective because uh, I can sit here and tell you all day long what the challenges of somebody living in low income in our community are, but unless I'm living that life and I'm able to speak from it from a firsthand perspective, it's you're not really getting uh, the, the true nature of what the challenges are and what the solutions need to be. So it certainly makes you stronger because you get the perspectives of the folks that you are serving, and then you have specialization uh, to make sure that you're carrying out your mission in an effective way. Thanks for that uh, explanation about boards, because I think for people not in community action, um, the tripartite board is a little bit confusing to really wrap your head around. So I appreciate that, uh, that explanation. So we have talked about um, the community needs assessment and really be, being able to dig in and meet the needs of your community. And we've talked about board participation and uh, relationship with NISCA. So as we're wrapping up, I'd love to leave on a, on a positive note, on a, on a high. And I guess I would love to ask each of you if you can share with us um, a success story or a really fond memory from your time working in community action. So th there are a lot of stories. I don't know if I could really choose one, but I think I'd like to talk about what I guess I would call a success attribute. Um, one of the things that's my biggest takeaway, um, not only for my own agency, but I, I see this when, when I speak with people from other agencies, we have employees of all levels that came from the same struggles for the, from the people that, you know, the customers that we serve. I have staff that have suffered, you know, they've been through poverty, there's been abuse. Um, we have people who were, Head Start parents once and, and now they're managers and directors. And I think if anything can talk about success, that's saying what we do works. We are not only helping people become self-sufficient and get jobs, but we're bringing them into the agency. And, and the thing that makes that so special and unique is when someone comes to us on their darkest day and they feel there's no hope, they can't actually say to, to our staff, you don't know what I'm going through. The fact that they can say, I do know it, and I've, I've gotten out of there can give people hope. And to me, that's the greatest success we could have. That is well said, Renee. I, I don't think I could say it any better. I wanted to um, uh, talk about a couple of success stories. Every month I have each division write a success story because that's what the board wants to hear. They wanna see that we're making a difference in the community. And so sometimes they're short time, uh, short-term uh, successes, sometimes they took a little longer. And so um, one of the examples of an individual who came to us, um, she had children in the Head Start program. She grew up in the Head Start program. She was working. Um, she's renting uh, a place for them to live. And um, she took some budgeting classes with us and asset development and home ownership classes. And it, it took her three years. But as she was working to clean up her credit, she was able to start saving money and eventually purchased her own home. Um, and now she's paying less for her mortgage and taxes than she was when she was renting that home. And so now she's an actor active member in our community council as well in the community and so um, I've been watching her grow over the years and it's just amazing to see that transformation. So that was more of a holistic um, look over a long term, but um, an example of a shorter term uh, success story, um, we have a fatherhood program where we're teaching fathers to be better uh, dads. And so we're just giving them more tools so that they can become, you know, a great father. And so uh, one particular person, his name is Michael, he came through our program, he graduated um, just in time to welcome his brand new baby daughter, um, just two weeks after he finished uh, the program. Um, he, re he has reached out to staff to let us know um, how much the program really helped him and prepared him for the first couple of months with his daughter. And he's always telling us he's becoming a pro with diaper changing, feeding, even giving baths and um, getting his daughter dressed. He's just a proud father. And um, so 
that connection, he is now coming back to every single fatherhood class that we have, and he's acting as a mentor to the other fathers so that they can see, hey, he's been through this. He knows what he's talking about, and they can connect with him. Um, and so it's been two years, and he still continues to come back. Um, and he talks to me, he talks to the program uh, staff, and then also to the, the dads. And so he really is a success out there, and um, it's just heartwarming to see the difference that we can make in individuals' lives. That's, those are great stories. Yeah, I love that story, Diane, uh, both stories. Um, I, I, this is a tough question, right? I'm with, I'm kind of with Renee. I feel like how the heck am I going to choose, uh, you know, one uh, success story? So um, I think uh, as I, I have a specific one that's a little different, right? That that then just serve, you know, what, what we've seen, uh, like a, a success story coming in and out of our agency. We also talked about that community action does more um, with, you know, regionally, statewide, systemically as well. Um, and one of the, I think a really kind of microcosm example of that is uh, the current, obviously, devastation that's going on in Europe. Ukraine. Um, CAPCO has been involved with a, uh, a group here in Cortland called Cortland Uniting for Ukraine that actually um, has brought an entire family over from Ukraine to Cortland County, got them out of a pretty devastating situation. And CAPCO played a pretty big role in that as the community action agency. Um, we were the 501c3, where uh, donations, we worked with our auditors on everything, donations come through us, um, and helping bring that individual here because we had that community action designation um, that carried a little bit of clout in the whole process of getting the individual here. Um, and because they had all the supports and resources of community action behind the group, it really expedited that process. Um, where as of uh, beginning of February, we have an entire Ukrainian family who um, escaped some pretty big devastation. There's uh, several young children that are going into our Head Start program. Um, if everyone from grandparents to, to young children were able to get here in that family. So that's just, a, and there's a lot to that story, but for, for the sake of time, that's just um, that's just one example of how community action to Renee and Diane's point, you know, we meet people where they are in our community and, and those stories that Diane and Renee uh, mentioned, they happen every day. In fact, while we're on this podcast, something like that is happening in one of our agencies right now. Um, but to also think differently about the, the bigger uh, support that CAPCO, uh, Community Action rather, uh, supports uh, our country and our region and bigger issues in the world, such as the Ukrainian crisis, um, we all play a role in that on the local level as well. Um, and I always like to uh, kind of end with this question uh, but really about myself, you know, I'm, I'm was very fortunate. I did not grow up in poverty, um, but when I joined Capco, um, I can tell you that my life has completely changed uh, from the person that I was when I walked in the door uh, back in 2014. The acceptance of community action, the the trauma informed care piece to that, meeting people where they are, and caring about the person first and foremost, um, has totally changed my perspective on a lot of things. And I can say that I would not be the person that I am today without community action, without the network, without the national network, and of course, without my agency, CAPCO, um, I, I would not be who I am. And I certainly probably wouldn't have not have been invigorated to be in the position I'm in without really those principles of community action being instilled within me. So um, I'd love to give you like 30 stories that I could think of off the top of my head right now, but I, I like to kind of end with those overarching stories, right, that kind of just drive home the point of what community action does. It's not just one thing. It's not just on the local level. It's, it's frankly, it can be on the global level um, with the impact that we have. And, and I think that our stories really, really speak to that impact. Thank you so much. And on that note, we really can't outdo what everything Greg and Renee and Diane just said. So we are going to thank them all for joining us. Uh, Greg, Renee, and Diane, thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. We truly appreciate it. Um, have a great day. Thank Thanks you. for having thank you. us. <laughs>